we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. The roster purge and overhaul continues at Colorado and in the process continues to command all of the spotlight. Late quarterback transfers, which ones are likely to start, and what do the Jonas Brothers smell like? This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, May 8th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel back together again. I will admit that that last little bit about what the Jonas Brothers smell like uh, comes from Sarah, who is off today. And Taylor, our steam producer, said that the only thing she cared about us addressing today is what the Jonas Brothers smelled like. Um so later on, Taylor can put that in his little notebook and he can ask us and and I will give you the answer as to uh, the aromatic experience that is being around <laughs> Nick, Joe, and, and Kevin Jonas. But uh, Pete, we finished up the NFL draft and you know that experience is always fun. It's a grind. Uh, Saturday is particularly a grind. It's not digging ditches. I understand that. It's great to get to do it. But, man, you get about, I'm going to say, latter stage when they start into the compensatory picks of the fifth round, and you're going, you're going, who, who's up? Who's on the clock? We set a record for trades. It was impossible to keep up in advance with who was going next. And uh, But it was, it was great. And you're like, we got two more of these rounds test. left? Yeah, I know two more. It's like surely we surely we're done. There can be no more players uh, to be to be chosen. But before we move into Dion Palooza and uh, Buff Palooza, however you want to look at it, what was your what was your overriding experience from Kansas City and and the draft? So I mean, that city is just still in the Super Bowl afterglow. It has that. It has that mid-dynasty buzz that that was felt up here in Boston, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was when when the Patriots kind of took off. It was a uh the feeling around town was one of sort of like victory is inevitable and we will continue to win. Um and the fans were great. I mean they were unbelievable. You looked left, you looked right, you looked forward from our our stage Reese and they were they were fans everywhere. Unbelievably nice people, great football fans. So the whole thing, I mean, the draft is just such a spectacle. It's hard to wrap your mind around it until you're you're really in the middle of it and experience it. We had eight or nine college coaches come and say hello uh, on the game day set there in the draft set. And all of them were like, whoa, you know, these are guys who like their daily you know work is done in stadiums of 80,000 people. And they were sort of generally like a little bit taken aback by just the infrastructure and the, the madness around the draft. So it was a... Uh, it was it was a blast. Um, let me ask you, Day. You, you're joking about round five, round seven. Were there any surprises? Was one guy picked where you were? You know, the NFL Network just stumped the truck. Was there one guy picked where you were just like, I got now again? You could just say, Todd. What do you know about fill in the blank safety <laughs> from Abilene Christian? But was there any one where you were just like, no way? There was a, and, and you know, this is a cop out answer, but there was a kicker, and I can't recall who it was. And um, now, look, 
Mel and Todd, I'm sure, had something on him. But when our great producer for day three of the draft, Rob Adamski, who's who's very Rob is very meticulous, calculated, thorough. And he said, I wish I could remember his remember the kicker's name, but he said, now Pete Thamel from Syracuse was just drafted. Who would like him? And I look at, <laughs> I look at you know, Lewis is like, nope. I look at Mel and Todd, they're both <laughs> shaking their heads. And Matt Miller, first time on the draft, yeah, you know, from close to his hometown, goes, I got something on him. And so, so when we got to him, that was the that was the the jump in point. Was I it think. the Maryland kicker who transferred from a Mac school? Uh, it might have been. Yes, Chad yes. Island. There we yeah. go, Taylor, yeah. Maryland I'm grad. Not, I'm Come not on, sure Taylor. it was him though. I think there was. I think there was another one, wasn't there, Taylor? I don't think it was him because Mel took him because Mel knows all things Maryland because of no, just yeah, probably, Well, he knows yeah, all sure. things. Period. Yeah. But you know, because of proximity, I think mm-hmm. it was someone someone else. But anyway, there was there was a kicker that got me. Uh, there were you know there were a couple of um, couple of linemen. But my my crowning moment of the entire three nights. Nobody but Jim Gallero noticed, right? So Pollock, it was Friday night, and Pollock and um and McShay were going back and forth, and and Todd got his uh, got his dander up a little bit because David was telling him he was talking too long. And he goes, Well, yeah, you're gonna need me when the when the guy comes up from you know Nick Saldaveri, the guard from Old Dominion. And then one of them said, uh Who's the other guy from Old Dominion? And they're both scouring their notes. And don't ask me how I remember. Maybe because I was wondering if he'd go ahead of Brenton Strange. But I was like, Zach Coons. <laughs> and nobody noticed except Gallero, which is why, which is why Gallero is my boy as the uh, as a producer. He's always got my back because he he gets to my ear and goes, Look at you. And I don't think anybody <laughs> even noticed. So yeah, well, anyway. I just noticed you uh you dumping your normal setmates under the bus for Todd because you were gonna have to ride long with him on Saturday. So I appreciate it. Oh, for I sure. Yeah, I mean, all those guys <laughs> out, out on Thursday, one round, then out on Thursday and Friday, and then they <laughs> You know, I guess they did an hour Saturday morning before we start. But, you know, McShay and I were like start to finish. And to be fair, Lewis and Mel were, too, because they were on the on the ESPN set to start. But it's a it's a great thing. One of the things that you had asked me earlier was preparation. So I sort of started thinking about that answer. And I don't want to bore people too much with it. But put put most simply, I work backwards, meaning that I work day three. Because I feel like that because of what we do on ABC in terms of telling the stories, I probably I need to familiarize myself with some of the uh, vignettes and different things that we show. But I know those guys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for the overwhelming most part, you know, those guys. Saturday turns in to team needs, trades, which general manager are you going to talk to? Um who Who's going to be picked? How are you going to get access your information? What Because you can't. You know, you can't memorize it all. I mean, even Mel and Todd is well, you know, they have their notes to refer to. It's too many, sure. it's too much, you know. And so I work backwards as I really start diving in. I try to keep up all the time, even through basketball season. But when the preparation starts, I try to go through like all of the non-power five guys, particularly non-power five guys, you probably won't go on on day one, day one or day mm-hmm. two. And then as we get closer, then I lock in on um, 
you know, on the guys that you already know and find, try to find out a few other little things. And it also, as you well know, from the hotel we stayed in, it was also where the players who were attending the draft stayed in. So you were constantly running into guys and you were able to pick up little anecdotes and have conversations and so forth. So it was, it was a good, good spot. Yes. The, uh, Comparable lack of nightlife in Kansas City compared to Las Vegas, where I covered the draft last year, <laughs> led to the lobby of the hotel, the Lowe's, being a little bit more bustling. Does that make sense? That's not a knock yes. on Kansas City. It just does not lack the options that you may have in uh, that you may have in Las Vegas. But so, you can get, but you can get a nice steak. Oh, oh we and I some barbecue. We ate, yeah, yeah, I thought we ate great. Yeah, no, it's not a knock, but I just. I noticed the the lobby being much more alive this year compared to in Vegas where everybody was yeah. kind of running off to do everything. So I thought that was the coolest part of the draft for me is the night before you've got like players and all their boys and their high, their college teammates, their high school teammates and their girlfriend. Like it was just like this is their moment and they were having a good time and like God bless them. They it, and you know you see the parents the next day crying. You see I mean it was just sort of it was like this reality show. And mm-hmm. every draft prospect has this little sphere of agents and marketing and college coach and friends and there are all these all these little buzzing bubbles and universes uh, around. So that was that was pretty neat. You end up on the on the elevator with a with a player's mom and you end up chatting with her for a minute. And uh, the next mo- the morning after the draft, I end up on the elevator with Bijan Robinson and we had a nice mm-hmm. conversation about Stan Drayton and Steve Sarkeesian, some of the guys who coached him and. He was just, you know, guy had a little spring to step. He went eight, you know. So yeah. it was, uh, and he's 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 been a delightful kid throughout his whole career. But it was just that was kind of a neat thing too, just to be be around and about that. Yeah, I, I agree, hundred percent. It was a great a great experience. Always is a lot of fun. We have the best crew in television to put us in uh, put oh, no. us in spots. Uh, Marissa Dowling, who we've mentioned many times cool. on this podcast, and then Brian Beasley is phenomenal. He doesn't work with us on college football, but he does. Um, tremendous job with the NFL and the NFL draft and works with our show. So it's um, it was, it was fun. There were surprises. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, I was surprised by Anthony Richardson, not talent wise, but that you're willing, because if you, if you take him four, you're going to play him. And, you know, the old conventional wisdom was like, get a veteran there, give him some time. You take that dude four, he's playing. I don't know if it's going to be week one, but it's going to be soon. So, you know, obviously Shane Steichen pretty confident that he can put in an offense that can allow him not only to succeed in the immediate um, immediate future, but in long term can still develop and, and add to his game as he as he goes along. So that was a little surprising, um, even though I didn't disagree with it at all. I was a little surprised that Stetson went for in the fourth round, Stetson Bennett. Um, but, you know, not not too terribly many surprises. Let's talk Colorado. Let me interject on the Colts oh, real quick. It, it, right. it just pr- prompted in my mind. Let's give a shout out to our friend Pat McAfee. Proud papa as of this weekend. Absolutely. Baby about- girl. Uh, Kenzie came along. And uh, just to see the joy in some of the social media posts that Pat's put up. Really, really happy for our uh, for our teammate to uh, to have that moment. So just uh, uh, when you said Colts, it, it popped in my head. I'm, I'm fired up for Pat. I sent him a message after he posted something about he was watching a movie and crying. And I, I sent some message. Is this because I'm a dad? And uh, he's like, this can't be the new normal. And I said, hey, man, <laughs> I said, hey, dude, get used to it. It is. Now, I if I see a sentimental father-daughter moment, 
on a sitcom. It can be corny as all get out. It doesn't matter. I'm tearing up. I said, yeah, get used to it. It is the new normal. It's the way it goes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really happy for them. It's sensational. It's been really cool to see all of those pictures. And um, I get to relive some of those moments uh, when sure. my kids were younger through that and through you with young Teddy. Kind of yep. Put him out in the sand pretty soon. See how that goes. Oh, yeah. Be fun. yeah. He's moving up to the toddler room next week. So roll Teddy's rolling on, rolling on us, man. He is uh, <laughs> rocking and rolling. Can't wait. Can't wait till we see him out on game day. Oh. Yeah, and then I, and then when he's really getting around a few years down the road, when he's mm-hmm. really getting around and can really uh, soak it up, enjoy it, that was cool. I can remember when I first started uh, game day. You know, Kirk's sons who are tremendous sure. have have always been around a little bit, and Chase was youngest, and Chase mm-hmm. often came out and you know would uh, help Kirk with the picks at the end, and he, he's quite astute at picking picking games. And now, how quickly time passes. Now he's a quickly blossoming high school quarterback. So soak up those moments when Teddy yeah. comes out there with us because they're they're buying they're buying a heartbeat. Yeah. Well instead of going to quarterback camps like Kirk's son this summer, Teddy, I think is gonna be going to like one of those interior lineman camps. <laughs> <laughs> what what's the guy's name in Dallas that yeah, the opposite line guru? Yeah. Yeah, he's had a million yeah. guys drafted. He does a great job. All all the guys go there. But yeah, that's where that's where Teddy's leaning right now. It's early though. It's early yeah. though. But uh yeah, I don't I don't trust the fast twitch enough for really to him end up anywhere else uh, on the football field. So well, it's all about apparently it's all about talent upgrade, and that's what Colorado is doing right now, purging its roster and bringing in a ton of new guys. It, it's really captivated college football. And I think there are some people who look at this and say, this has never happened before. And it's true in terms of sheer numbers, but it's always happened. Guys have always run guys off. Sometimes, you know, it's been more subtle. There are some there are some things about the way that Deion Sanders is overhauling the roster that I think is more straightforward. It doesn't mean Deion is right about the player. You know, I always say this: a coach may think that a player can't play a certain place to contribute. He might be wrong. Player might be mm-hmm. right. You know, so I'm not saying that everybody that Deion has uh, sent on his way from Colorado is not you know is is doomed to not have a great career. But at least Deion is shooting straight, and he's not coming in and, and doing the old, well, you know, you can stay and you can keep your scholarship and get your degree, but I'm just going to tell you, you are never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever, 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 ever going to play. You're probably not even going to meet, get a meaningful practice that, but you can stay, you know, to me, at least this is more straightforward. Will it yes, work? I, Will I, it work? I, we don't know yet. I don't think so. In the immediate thing, it might be they might upgrade the talent enough to clip somebody. But in terms of like becoming a factor this year, I I don't expect that at all. I, I don't either. And, and you know what? Rebuilding has been redefined drastically in the last five years, Reese. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it used to be, oh, we need to come in and we don't judge him on his first recruiting class because he only had three weeks to put that together. So we're going to judge him on his first full recruiting class and those guys red shirts. So it's year three and those guys are, you know, that has all changed. And now it's, you can fill the portal. You can do what Lincoln did. Um, Brian Kelly did a great job of that, I thought. Like you can go and flip it fast. And I do think, Dion saying a lot of quiet things out loud, which I appreciate, mm-hmm. is saying, I coach professional football. We don't need to cling to all these old, 
you know, all these old antiquated yell at the cloud notions. I coach professional football. These guys are old furniture. I'm bringing in new furniture. These guys are dime store handbags. I want Louis. And that's okay um, that, that he's going to do that. My appreciation for that is bound and guarded by skepticism that there's enough Louis in the portal right now. Because I don't really think there's enough good players. I've had so many coaches text me and complain about this post-spring portal. And I think Dion's up to 59, 60 guys at this point. Mm -hmm. We're taping this on uh, Monday afternoon. And obviously, he's going to have a, a, a freshman class coming in that's filled a bunch. But especially to run the offense they're going to run, Reese, I think that's gotten lost in this. He is going to run the Sean Lewis, Kent State, lightning Wide, fast. Fast. And, and Bunch you, of if dudes. You, if you go fast and you don't have lines on either side and you don't have depth, especially, you are just going to give the ball away quickly and put yourself in a position to get blown out. And so mm -hmm. that's the, the the scary part of committing to that offense without great numbers and without enough numbers right now is that you could be that offense when it's not working. And we've seen it in we've seen at Syracuse in bits and pieces. We've seen it in some of these places where they've installed it and it's just not, and you're just banging your head against the wall. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it will be interesting to see if they can get enough numbers. And look, all these guys bringing in aren't going to be elite. Uh, my, I guess my over, I have two overriding skepticisms right now. One is of, is Shador Sanders good enough? And he's a talented young player, but is he good enough without everything perfect around him, without having mm -hmm. um, a, 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 an athletic superiority um, that he clearly had at Jackson State? When you watch them play at Jackson State, and I'm not Pollock, I'm not sitting there grinding out the the film as as much, but they they were better than they. You know, the other team didn't have Travis Hunter, right? Mm -hmm. So how how will he handle expectations in adversity? Um, unlike he's unlike he's seen and unlike he's experienced and the uh the, the other skepticism that i have is when you take their schedule and you take what they will need to do right away they open what tcu nebraska mm -hmm. you looked at this this morning help me out yeah after it, it's uh i would have to look and see those okay. those games are early i have to look to match sure one and back two. to back is that one yeah. and two yeah i believe so okay. yeah um uh yeah and but i want to say they could you know conceivably and then they have Co or, colorado yeah. state i think it looks like uh next after that so yes and colorado state's going to be better they underwent their own overhaul under jay norvell in uh in in year one then they go at oregon usc at home at arizona state so it's not beyond the realm that they could start one and five row and six Mm -hmm. Just with with the and again, it's hard to it's hard to even project anymore because they have twenty five scholarships to fill. So that is one third of your team that we don't know what it we don't know what it looks like. So here's here's my my other sort of portion of skepticism, um, and some of this is ground through. Uh, on my trip to Kansas City, I stopped at Nebraska. I stopped at Kansas State, the defending Big Twelve champions, where the coach has won four national titles in FCS. There's a team building aspect. That is mm -hmm. inherent to college football. And I don't want to sound like some old timey how it used to be, but like you start building your team in January. You start building it through offseason workouts. You need to build togetherness, especially in an offense and a system that relies so much on synchronicity and timing if you're going to play that fast. So when can this team be built? You're going to start building this team 
July 15th when everybody comes back from, you know, to go to camp. So I just think it's going to be hard to inject that many pieces. Now, look, again, we just said professional sports. This is what professional teams do all the time. But there's an advantage of continuity. Um, there's a saying in college football and college basketball and the NIL world and portal world, continuity is a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Colorado does not have that competitive advantage. In a weird way, if you look at their schedule, Nebraska has that because they actually haven't lost a ton of guys. And they're going to mm-hmm. bring a bunch of guys back from some teams that were competitive um, two seasons ago and somewhat last season. So anyway, there's just there's a bunch of interesting headwinds that Dion's facing. It's very early, I think, to say he's going to win the title or he's going to be an abject failure. It's too early. But I, I think some of the roster manipulation has earned skepticism. I've had so many coaches call me and be like, there aren't. 30 players, good players in the portal who can help you win power five games, period. Never mm-hmm. mind the 30 that are going to go to Boulder to jump on that ship. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The one, the one thing I will say is that, again, reemphasizing what I said earlier, that everybody mm-hmm. that left Colorado is not a bad player. They're not doomed to failure. They, sure. they, in fact, I hope that a few of them proved Dion wrong. And I hope a lot of transfer portal guys that left whatever school they were at proved their coaches wrong. You know, the ones that left, the, I'm only not talking about the ones that left because they got a better NIL deal. I'm talking about the ones that the coach said, you're not going to play here. And I hope they prove them wrong. I just, I'm on the side of the players when things like that come up. But overall, they have upgraded the talent, it seems. They, you know, they've got, I think, two or three players from Alabama that were highly recruited. They've got Florida State guys, got a guy from Auburn, a couple guys from Kentucky. You know, they've added guys, Florida State, uh, you know, transfer from Florida State, a, a pass rusher from Washington. They, they have upgraded their talent, and because of that, even if they do start slowly or if they clip somebody early and then get a little sideways, because of the team-building aspect that you're talking about, I do think they could be better at the end than they than they are at the beginning. So I think it is really important what you said about not proclaiming this regime and this philosophy a failure if they, you know, if they go zero and six, or a success if they start two and zero and somehow clip TCU and then win at Nebraska, got to wait and see. But I do think they're good enough, um, or their talent has been improved enough that they are more likely, uh, more than like more likely to get somebody than they would have been given the roster prior to the overhaul. 
absent injuries, because it is really what you said, there there is not going to be a lot of room for attrition. Uh, it wouldn't appear in terms of you know losing linemen or, or whatever it might be. The most difficult place they're going to have to recruit is backup quarterback. Oh, yeah. Because nobody in any sport is going to go play behind the coach's son. Yeah. That is just, you need cores to do the NIL deal for that dude, because there is just, (laughs) there is just no chance anyone's going to want to do that. Again, all football is susceptible to a billion variables and that's what makes it great, right? Like it's just completely wildly, insanely unpredictable. If we had sat in this podcast a year ago and said TCU was going to play for the national title, you would have, you you would have, you would have had a wellness check sent to Mm -hmm. my, uh, sent to my condo. So, um, and that's, that's what makes it absolutely absolutely great and uh it there is one aspect that i think is interesting because this is a production of sanders that is really like it's reality tv he has cameras that follow him Mm -hmm. everywhere that's one of the Mm -hmm. big criticisms from the players who left this dude everything he does is for the cameras they a lot of guys uh the athletic did a good story said they didn't feel like there was genuine relationship building because Mm -hmm. it was he was focusing on that now some of that might have been he knew the old furniture was and he didn't waste any time building relationships. He hasn't with, been uh, there long either. I correct. mean, you know, nope. so you have two things. And that's going fair. There. But yeah. everything they do to your point on, if they go two and oh, or oh, and two is going to be magnified. Dion mm-hmm. is, is college football's Kardashian. That's what he is. Everywhere he goes and everything he does is going to be blasted from the mountaintops. Now our network is going to be part of that. Uh, all the websites are going to be part of that. Other networks are going to be part of that. You know, Dion Sanders, travels like people know who he is more so than they know who Sonny Dykes is in America. And that is going to amplify the good. And it is also going to amplify the bad and how the players deal with that amplification and with that spotlight. You just can't go. I, you know, I saw rule when I went, Matt rule, when I went through Nebraska and he told me at temple, their first year, they lost to uh, Fordham in Idaho. Right. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. nobody noticed because they were playing Fordham and Idaho. Fordham beat them on a Hail Mary and they lost in the in the Kibbe Dome uh, on the road. It you wasn't exactly waltz like into the Kibbe Dome and throw waltz. your head out there and, and stroll out with a victory. Yes, he made he made the team run gassers pregame, which wasn't a smart move by a young coach in altitude. But that's another story for <laughs> for another uh, for, for another time. But most times oh, in college man. football, year one was a mulligan year. Hey. You're going to go. We're going to set the culture. We're going to do it right. From an attention standpoint, Dion has not is not going to be afforded that. Now, Rick George may afford him that, and the board of trustees may afford him that, but nobody is going to say, "Oh, well, you know, he took over a one and eleven team. Let's cut him some slack." The attention will be as loud and bright as if he were in Tuscaloosa, Athens, or LA. Okay, give me a date because I have one now. Give. I'll ask the question first and then give you the mild disclaimer. Give me the date at which point Colorado will be out of the national consciousness for on-field performance and matchups for this season. The caveat is they're going to stay on the spotlight sure. or in the spotlight in terms of gaining recruiting commitments, rumors about who might be disgruntled and maybe headed to Colorado. That because of the power of his stardom and and what he's accomplished um, as a player, broadcaster, and in early part of his coaching career, that part will still get attention. When will they be completely relegated uh, to, as uh, one of our 
associate producers used to say, oh, by the way, score only. (laughs) (laughs) Wipe to full screen. When will they when will they be relegated to that? What date? I think they'll be score only after the Stanford game Friday, October 13th. So they're going to be playing on a Friday. There's still going to be a lot of eyeballs. Everybody watches those Friday games. You and I watch them and talk about them every Saturday morning when we go in the game day office. They play Stanford at home by week, and then they go to UCLA. And at that point, the world will have moved on, I feel like, from their on-field results. They will be who they are at that point. And so then they can they can cobble together and and, and finish out the year and re-energize and re- revision themselves for the road. Do you agree with about that time frame? I think it's earlier. I okay. think it's the I think it's October Sunday, October first, the day after the USC game. And you're right. We'll still watch the Friday night game. People will still watch, but it will be because it's the Friday night game, and people mm-hmm. are just going to watch that uh, because they're you know they're getting ready for Saturday. There's not another one on. Now people will be will watch that and look for signs of improvement, um, and will. You know, and we'll watch to see how they're doing. But in terms of Colorado's playing, you know, whoever on Saturday, Colorado's playing Arizona State, Colorado's playing USC, that will end after the SC game. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's very uh, I think that's very fair. Um, Yeah, that program's uh, resiliency through what we see as adversity that's inevitable will be a fascinating component of all this. So I'm excited, man. I mean, look, yeah. we have spoken about Colorado football on this podcast Forever. right now, yeah. more yeah, than more. we spoke combined about Colorado football last year on the podcast. And probably more than I spoke about Colorado football, the first 19 seasons that I covered national college football. Pro- yeah, probably so. It's been, it's been a while since they, yeah. since apologies to Mike McIntyre. They had a little, they had a little yeah, starburst they, there. Right. Yes. They did a little surge. And then obviously Gary Barnett, you know, had some, had some good run in the early two thousands, but that's only for those of us who've been around forever. Here's how I'll wrap up the Colorado discussion about finding a backup quarterback. Uh, the great legendary basketball coach, Al McGuire had his son, Allie playing for him way back in the day. And one of the other players, another point guard, uh, came in and said, Coach, I should be playing more. I'm as good as Allie. To which Al McGuire replied, you can't be as good as Allie. He's my son. You have to be better than Allie if you're going to, if you're going to play. So, so it's going to be uh, – it'll be difficult uh, for them to find, uh, to find a backup quarterback to Shadur because, look, Finite window in college. Guys are leaving all over the place. Guys who started at Michigan State and Notre Dame uh, just left and went to Alabama and Auburn. We we had sort of alluded to in somewhat veiled fashion, um, I think the last time we spoke about maybe Alabama picking up a, a transfer portal quarterback. And then, mm-hmm. and then Buckner was a little more uh, transparent in our discussion later on. Peyton Thorne we hadn't talked about. Nope. And and leaving Michigan State to go to Auburn, it, Hugh Freeze has had success with quarterbacks like Peyton Thorne. Maybe you know Chad Kelly's probably a little more a little more athletic than uh, than that. But he's had some. It hasn't all been Malik Willis. You know, guys who could who could just run a ton. I 
I could see that being a good steadying influence for Auburn if he wins the job. I still think there's a lot of uh, a lot of potential in Robbie Ashford um, at quarterback for Auburn. But you know, I, I've I've said this a few times on the podcast. I saw him in high school, liked him, uh, expected him to make more of an impact at Oregon. Didn't expected him to win the job at Auburn quicker than he did. Honestly, so you know, maybe maybe I'm going to be the last one off the bus. Uh, with him, but I, I think he's still got potential to be an effective player in the SEC. Yeah, and I think as interesting as it was that Peyton Thorne left, he was in a battle for for his job at Michigan State. So that maybe wasn't – he's a familiar name, and he's associated with some, some, sex, some success there um, two seasons ago. So I feel like maybe that's why his name was was buzzy. I, I think almost Keon Coleman leaving um, – yeah was was a little bit more telling because it's like oh okay like this is a uh, you know this is a guy who is probably the most dynamic player on their team and mm-hmm. so and he's certainly the best uh the, the best receiver so that that was obviously returning Jalen Reed might have been better than him last year so you you go through and you say okay this is the the you know but look Mel Tucker got his big deal and and established himself at Michigan State through the portal. They they brought in. They were kind of one of the first teams to hit portal roulette. Everything went right. Kenneth Walker the third being the most notable. But they filled every void. And, and look, he inherited a underwhelming roster from Mark D'Antonio mm-hmm. and did an unbelievable job putting an adrenaline surge into that program and into that roster. And now I think. You, I don't know if you can win the portal every year like that. And I think some of this is just sort of natural uh, attrition and reverting to the mean um, there. So, yeah, Thorne at Auburn will be interesting. I, I don't see him as like a surefire starter. But sometimes, you know what, if it's not working out and you feel a little stale at your place, you go somewhere that's different. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're, you're he's certainly going to get better offensive coaching at Auburn than he would have got at Michigan State. I feel very confident saying that. So maybe you go and you have a new a new place where you can go you learn a different system, test your skill set, showcase yourself against the best and, uh, you know, and see if you can uh, and, and see if you can you can draw the eye of NFL evaluators that way. Does he start opening day for Auburn? So, so much of that has to be like locker room based. So my guess is no, because it's just really hard. You got to be like a Russell Wilson to walk in and navigate all the thorny locker room dynamics. I know coaches that have been like, well, we're not going to start that guy to week three. We love him. He's the best, but we need to get everybody on board. They need to see it first. Mm -hmm. I don't, by the same token, I may be wrong. I don't think, um, I don't think. Tyler Buckner starts at Alabama week one either. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, and, and and I don't, I'm not predicting that barring injury, he'll be starting by the end of the season either. I, I think he's, I think he's really, uh, I think he's a good player. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that either of those guys are slam dunks to start. And I'm not sure they're uh, slam dunks to hold the job. I think, um, I think the week prior to Texas and Alabama's opening game, I think you'll see probably two. Somebody won't somebody won't make it or somebody will will leave, won't make the cut. But I think you'll see a little bit of um, you know, 
what they had several years ago when they've had quarterback competitions. They've played one for a while, and they've played the other one, then they'll make a decision before the Texas game. Um, you know, Buck, Buckner will need to be in that mix or else it's going to perhaps not have been the wise move for him to to leave Notre Dame, at least not for Alabama. So we'll uh, we'll wait and see. And then again, maybe he'll do what I was talking about some of the other guys who've been pushed out do and prove everybody wrong, come in and uh, win over the guys over the course of the summer, play better than everyone and win the job. And, you know, that's the one thing that I think with Nick Saban at Alabama, the credibility that he has in his locker room and across the sport, if he makes a decision that it's the new guy who's the best quarterback, <laughs> you know, I think you're less likely. You're still going to have some disgruntled, uh, disgruntled things, but uh, you're less likely to have some type of mutiny or thing that splits the locker room right down the middle. Hey, let's uh, let's wrap this up. I think uh, Taylor, I think you have a question that you would like to ask me. I do, Reese. So Sarah Abbott, our fellow producer, she's off today, but she wanted to know. She's an enormous Jonas Brothers fan, probably in her like favorites just below Taylor Swift as documented on the show. But uh, she's got a lot of questions for you. I think she wants to ask them herself. But at the top of her list, she requested to know on the podcast, what do the Jonas Brothers smell like? Uh, they smell that creepy of her to ask that, too. No, I don't think so. They smell they smelled of beef and cheese. <laughs> not not really. Not really. I would say it was more of a a sandalwood citrus aroma. So they smelled good. They were a Yankee candle? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of a of a, of an everyman jack uh soap kind of thing, Ooh. which is not a sponsor, so I shouldn't have said them. But um could be. The truth of the matter is, Taylor, is I have no idea. They 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 didn't emit a foul aroma, which has not always been the case when when I've run across celebrities. But um, there there is a story there, but I'm not willing to tell it. Um, but they didn't, you know, they they didn't emit a foul aroma. But just for Sarah's sake, let's tell her that they smelled of sandalwood and citrus. I think that'll make her happy. You know what they actually smelled like on the set? They smelled like marijuana because the good people of Kansas City were enjoying that first night of the draft. And uh, that smell was <laughs> prevalent. I, uh, I, to, I, to I, when know, I was interviewing I, some of the college coaches, I was like, this is going to be a mellow interview. And they all man, kind of chuckled before before the interview. We hit play on the tape. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have I if I share, I think I've shared. Yeah, I've shared on the podcast my aversion to that mm -hmm. particular foul, vile smell. I, I mean, it, it is, I can't think of a worse smell. If I, if I told, I'll wrap it up on this and gross everyone out. I, I've told, have I, Taylor, have I told you? I'm not sure I've told Pete. David Pollock and I know, we're very close friends. You know, We know a lot about each other. And David knows how much I despise and detest that smell. Just, it's just, you know, everybody's got an aversion. That one's mine. The smell of losers, right? Right, Reese? Uh, I'm just, it just, it, it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible smell. I hate the smell. Well, people know about Pollock's diet and they know he will emit a foul aroma from time to time. Regularly, actually. <laughs> so we he were. Does he clean? 
we were we were heading we were heading to the airport and in Cincinnati after that great game day show a couple of years ago. Unbelievable crowd, fantastic morning. So, but I mean, they were having a good time there too, much like Kansas City, Pete. So I get into the car and without saying anything else, Pollock says to me, you have to make a choice. He said, sitting in a room with that smell, with the marijuana, or locked in a car with one of the foul aromas that I emit. And I said, disgusting and awful as it is, if I have to choose, I'll take I'll take the latter. I said, I would prefer neither. <laughs> but that's how much I detest that smell. I hate it. And I, I just, I, I can't stand it. Anyway. I can't wait for that clip to get aggregated. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 look, I, look, I mean, it's like the old, it's like the old Nick Bakai thing a hundred years ago on SportsCenter when he would say, push, there are no winners here. But yes. if you have to make that choice, uh, both are, are vile. But, you know, if you got to choose one, you got to choose one. He'd enjoy taking young, young Teddy to the sand. And I uh, hope you guys have a up. wonderful trip. Uh, Taylor, thanks for having us on again and bringing us back in this College Game Day podcast. And remember, it is always better to smell of sandalwood and citrus than vile Pollock emissions or wacky tobacco. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>